Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Today, with another photograph, this image was taken in 2012 during late November. I think this is after we had left Yosemite. We had traveled uh, north again and then cut over to Carson City, Nevada, where we jumped on the 395. Now, that next day, we traveled south on the 395, trying to get to Bishop, California. I think that's where this photograph was taken. We pulled the Camry over to take some, photo, uh, some photos of the, the light that was in the sky in the afternoon sun that was, uh, that was lighting up some of the clouds over this, this uh, mountain, this hill that was there that had no trees on. I thought that was really cool. And so from this perspective, I turned and I looked back to down toward the freeway, or excuse me, toward the highway, which you can see in the photo, and then you can see just a little speck of where the Camry is as you look out to those uh, the snow-capped hills that are out there. Uh, it was just kind of a cool spot to get some photographs, but I think this was in the higher elevations, and then soon after this, you start to, you come over that ridge, you come down, and I think that's where you get into, like, Mono Lake, and uh, and you get into some of those other areas in the, in the 395, but that was really cool, heading up through that, that area, in eastern California, a really interesting uh, remote area of land that it seems like a lot of Californians might not be too familiar with. It's kind of a cool area, though. Really glad to uh, get a chance to be out here and photograph it. So thanks for checking it out. You can see more of my work at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. And I uh, wanted to jump into a couple of the things I've been doing through the month of July and some of the outdoor camping and travel stuff I've been up to. Um, I was going to run down some of that in this uh, podcast today. I wanted to talk about a trip I did out toward eastern Oregon, uh, I think like last, or what was a week before last is when I was out in this area, and I was trying to, to get some good uh, observations in for Comet Neowise. I'm not sure if any of you guys got to check that out while it was uh, in its prime viewing section there. I think that was why we had uh, kind of like the new moon before it switched over to being a, a, a gibbous moon or a nearly full moon like it's been the last week or so. But I think, uh, what was it, around like the 15th through the 25th or so of July, there were some pretty good observations uh, to be made of, of Comet Neowise. And um, I guess after after kind of reading about it a little bit, it's not considered a great comet like Hale-Bopp was or uh i think it was was it Hayataki in 1996 we haven't had a great comet in a long time i remember seeing those when i was a kid though and that was pretty cool uh like uh watching hail bop come through for it seemed like three months or something you know that you were just kind of looking at that in the uh in the the low corners of the northwestern and western sky as it was kind of cruising across the the skyline there i remember that still from from like third fourth grade when it was coming through and i also remember the year before that when uh when like straight up in the air you, or you know like straight up in the sky at night for it was only like a week or so i was a kid you know but i remember for that week you could see a real bright two-tailed comet that was going through i think i can't remember how to pronounce it. i think it's haitaki or i think it's some it's some japanese name uh, i'm pretty sure but that was a really cool one that that one i still remember really clearly and i, and I was only like i don't know seven or something when that like uh 
when when that comment came through, but I really appreciate getting to make some observations of that one when I was a kid. I missed Haley's comment though back in what eighty seven I think was the last one it uh, it came through, and I probably will be the the few years. Or that you know that decade or two of of age range that doesn't get to see Haley's Comet in their lifetime. So, I think uh, I think I was born in '88, of course. So, uh, if I make it past 100, then maybe I'll see it. What is it? Maybe like 80 something years. So it's it's probably not going to come back around until I think it's like the 2070s or 2080s that I'd have to make it to for uh, to see Haley's Comet again. It'd be fun, but. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll see how future, how the, you know, the future is at that time. Um, but it was really cool to get to see Comet Neo-wise. It was uh, just a little below what would be the the legs and feet of Ursa Major, the Big Dipper, or uh, like the Big Bear, as it would kind of be observed. But if you if you kind of look at the the Dipper part that we're all mostly familiar with, uh, if you kind of consider. Ursa Major, the larger bear constellation that it's structured on, uh, if you kind of look down below the Dipper is where I was able to make my observations of Comet Neowise. And, um, and over here in the, at the elevation area that I'm at in western Oregon, it's about 200 or 300 feet above sea level. And there's, there's kind of a constant problem with haze and with uh, light pollution in this area. And I think it has to do something with... Uh, uh, well, like, I mean, of course, you know, the amount of population that's around, and but also uh, it's, there's something about the air quality or about how the air kind of flows out around here that just doesn't ever seem to be as crisp or as dark as you can get up in the mountains. And uh, and really, yeah, it's just a, like a stunning difference when you're able to get out further uh, and, and make some uh, some more clear observations. Just, you know, the, the level of magnitude of stars that you're able to reveal just in a dark night is so much more crisp and clear. Uh, it's it's just like a it's a total difference. So it was cool to uh, I, I think I first was able to spot just a little fuzzy bit uh, of a second magnitude uh, version of Comet Neowise while I was here in town. But I tried to make a special trip out toward eastern Oregon out into the desert just to do some camping stuff. But uh, what I wanted to do at the same time was make some good observations and, and also try and get some good photographs of Comet Neowise as it was coming through during its period uh, where you could you could make some some good sightings of it. But it was cool. So going out to eastern Oregon, as it got dark, a little past 1030 or so, as you look to the northwest, you could really see co- the comet and its tail spread for a, a couple inches in the sky. And I was really surprised to notice how little of it you could really make out or see uh, when you're in an area of, of almost any light pollution. Once you're back in town or once you're in a lower elevation area with some light pollution and haze around, it was really difficult to make out in the same way that I could out in the desert or out in the mountains. And so I thought that was uh, pretty cool to get to get to see and, and uh, get to check out over there. But, uh, yeah, it was a blast getting to do some stuff uh, out in eastern Oregon. I went over to the John Day River area. And I was uh, checking out that area. There's a lot of public land out in that area, but there's also some, a lot of private land too. It's just kind of an interesting area how it's sort of broken up. And um, it was cool to get to go out, go out to though. I headed out to Madras and then I took off and headed over east of there until I ran into the John Day River. And then I was able to use uh, this map that I have to go through and find some of the open off or just the, the open roads that are, uh, you know, the smaller gravel roads that are set up to kind of traverse the back country out there. So I was able to find a few of those that were open and travel around on those for a while. 
And that was pretty cool. I was able to find some dispersed campsites and set up right along the John Day River, uh, which was really cool. It's a beautiful area out there. It's kind of interesting. The John Day River f- flows through uh, this sort of, I guess it would be, I don't know, it's kind of like canyon land, and it's also sort of these rolling grass hills that sort of make up the landscape of of northern, northern and northeastern Oregon. And I think, uh, yeah, as soon as you kind of get a little bit for a little, like a little bit north of Bend is when you get out of the Great Basin area uh, and you start to get into another kind of landscape that seems to stretch up uh, north of the Columbia River up into Washington. I've heard that some of it's uh, from like really old uh, deposits from the river systems and the waterways that were up there and, and how well, like, there's old, old, old deposits and then, and then erosion that's happened from uh, those rivers running through the area for such a long time, but uh, but really cool to see kind of the rolling hills and then some of the carved out canyons that go through the John Day uh, River area up there. When I found the campsite I was at, I was pretty far away from everybody, and I was, I was really uh, far away from any uh, substantial town. I think it was near, I don't know, I don't even know what it is. There wasn't anything there when I drove through it. There was a bridge and, and a couple little ranch houses, uh, you know, real ranches, right? Like a, just a little, t- a little a little house, like a little two bedroom house and then a hundred acres of, of cattle <laughs> to deal with. So, uh, it seems, uh, it seems like another life out there. I wonder how they're dealing with, uh, you know, kind of the way of the world as things are this summer, but, uh, it was cool. Yeah. Getting out there, uh, went, uh, to, or yeah, kind of set up my campsite and stuff, had my truck going and that was all pretty easy going. But then I waited till dark after 1030. Yeah. Comet Neowise was really visible up below the big dipper. That was pretty cool to get to see out there in Eastern Oregon. Really bright, really clear. You could almost make out the second tail. I had my binoculars with me. And I think there's some 10 by 42s. And those worked really well to view it, uh, to view the the comet. Um, looked really crisp through the, through the binoculars. And it got really easy to spot most of the night. Even just to the naked eye, it was really easy to spot. It was just like, oh, yeah, it's right there. There's a comet. It's just a, a big wisp in the sky. Uh, so it was really cool to get to view it. What I did is I set up my tripod and I have my camera with me. And so I set it up with a really wide angle. And then I was trying to get some photographs of it as it was, as the comet was sort of uh, coming down to set uh, on the landscape of the hillside, you know, as the hours went on into the night. So I think I, I stayed out until maybe one or two in the morning when the Big Dipper was sort of uh, scooping down a little low onto the horizon. And then at that point, the the place where the comet was dipped below the horizon and then was uh, out of view for the rest of the evening and I think even into the morning. I think by that time when I was photographing it, it wasn't it wasn't visible any longer uh, up in the morning sky. I think they said you know at first in early July you could kind of view it around Capella if you were able to get out early enough, say three or four in the morning. But as it as the direction as it was moving, it was kind of creeping up. Um, pretty quickly, you know, day over day over day, it would kind of move a good chunk through the sky. And uh, in the direction that it was moving, it was moving to be more visible at the nighttime, which really offered uh, more hours of good observation time, which I thought was pretty cool uh, to wait until it was really dark enough in the northwest uh, view of the sky. Probably about 1030 onward is when you're finally able to make out uh, those kind of finer points of light in the sky in that region. Uh, so it was really cool. Set up the tripod, set up the camera, uh, set up some manual focus 
to uh to get it kind of set sharp at night you, know, you can't you can't use autofocus when you're trying to make photographs of the, the night sky and the stars because it just kind of seeks back and forth so you have to set it to manual focus and then uh ring out your um your focus ring to infinity and then just back a little bit you'll notice this every time if you do it it's really frustrating in the dark because you can't really always make it out in, a, in an easy way and, and edit your mistake uh, quickly but if you go all the way to infinity and then take fi pictures there of the night sky you're going to notice that those points of light that are the stars sort of end up a little fuzzy and it's because all the way to infinity for whatever reason just isn't quite in focus at infinity so you have to go to, all the way out to infinity and then back it off just a little bit and that'll nearly ensure that most of that part of the image is in focus the whole way and it's difficult even even if you do have uh, an f-stop that's a little bit more tightened out say like an f4 or f6 or something you're still going to get a lot of that that out of focus softness if the focus ring isn't really dialed into the right spot so i try to work on that a little bit and uh yeah dialed in my focus was able to set it up with uh, a reasonable iso to get some images of the night sky and, and pick up some of those finer points of light and then i was able to to take a series of photographs uh, in a few different locations out there in the John Day River Valley, uh, which I thought was really cool. It was, it was uh, pretty to be out there, and it was a nice night, really warm in the River Canyon, and uh, and really remote, too. Like I was mentioning, I think I was the only person out there for a few miles. I saw another another group coming in on a, they had like a little mid-size uh, SUV, and they were going fishing out at a bend in the river a couple miles up from where I was. And so I took my truck down a little further and, and camped out just on the side of the river. It was cool. Nice uh, green river up to the kind of high desert tan rim rock that uh, runs the area around there. Uh, so it was, a, it was a cool evening, cool campsite area. It was a cool spot to check out Comet Neo-wise too. So I tried to check it out uh, up up until, I don't know what, you know, 1.30 in the morning when I couldn't see it anymore. And then uh, spent the night out there, out in the John Day River area. And then the next morning got up and tried to check out some of the the different roads and stuff that, that went around. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. I think uh, I've just been going through editing a handful of photographs and I wanted to talk about a few of the ideas that I had around that. Uh, it was cool. I was going through uh, through an archive on a hard drive that I have for a bunch of the images from a lot of the camping that we did during September while we were out this uh, this past year, and it was cool working with uh, with the newer Sony cameras, like uh, like I talked about a handful of times on this podcast so far, and uh, and working 
by like traveling around and camping and stuff, working in the truck and, and all that stuff was really cool. But uh, with a lot of those photos, uh, a handful of, or, you know, in a lot of ways, they really haven't been processed to a, to a final outcome yet. So one thing that I was working on was uh, trying to go through some of the photographs from Imnaha, Oregon. And Imnaha, Oregon, I'd talked about on here a bit, was uh, that area that's east of of Joseph and Enterprise, Oregon, as you get up toward Hell's Canyon or... Um, yeah, I guess up there, like right on the Snake River and the Idaho border, and it's a cool spot. It's a a really interesting little town, and the the geography out there uh, really changes uh, quite quite dramatically. Like right there, out next to the uh, Snake River, and and out next to all those hills and mountains that are over in that area. But uh, it looks like it used to be way more full of water out there. Just the amount of erosion that you can you can see that seemed like it ran through there to create those giant gorges that we see now. That's that's a lot of of earth movement that had happened out there. So uh, it's a really cool area out there. But uh, once you get out to Imnaha, there's no services, there's no gas, there's no store really. Uh, I think there might be some something if you if you could call ahead or knew what to call in, ahead for. But uh, there's a road that cuts out of Imnaha. Um, up the Imnaha River Canyon, where the Imnaha River flows through. And then there's a road that cuts up, uh, and it, it would go out toward Hell's Canyon, or toward a viewpoint, at least, of uh, at the top of Hell's Canyon, as you look down into the Snake River and the Oregon-Idaho Divide. Really cool area up there, and definitely worth a drive if you can get out there. But uh, at a certain point, there's a viewpoint that uh, you're able to, to kind of walk out to that shows all of uh, the the Imnaha Canyon in a, in a really interesting way. Just the angle of it, I think uh, it, everything starts to line up really nicely in that way. And that's something I, w- I try and kind of look for as when I'm trying to put together some photographs. Um, so that area was uh, was really cool. You know, it's designed to look really beautiful. But uh, I try to get uh, real low and, and bring in some of the uh, some of the, the context and texture, of the grass uh, in this uh, this dry grassy field that uh, that kind of stretched off on a steep slope down the hillside as it went down to the bottom of the ravine or at the bottom of the canyon, you know, of the, the Imnaha River Canyon that's out there. But the contours of the land in the distance, it kind of all flowed into the same vanishing point as uh, as the Imnaha River, you know, sort of worked its way up back toward the horizon. But a uh, really beautiful area up there, and it was cool uh, just sort of focusing the camera and trying to, to trying to frame that up to sort of capture that immenseness of edge to edge, what it, what it was really like to sort of feel the, that the weird the, just the amount of angle there is to that and so uh, one thing that i was working on with this photograph was uh, and a handful of the others from uh, from the Imna river canyon was um trying to trying to work on some some more advanced black and white conversions of these photographs and i know there's uh, there's different um different like high contrast filters and stuff for for good black and white images and in a lot of ways that could really help a a, a ton of images especially if they're shot right uh, or you know cleanly with uh, good light, uh, you know if the files are clean. There's a huge amount you can do with uh, with things like that. But uh, gosh, yeah, just trying to like go through and add black and white conversions that are a little bit more specific, a little bit more adjusted to some of these photographs, uh, especially ones that have like a structural context to them or, or a, a compositional element that's uh, really just defining the landscape by the structure of the land or by the uh, the angle of the land. Um, I kind of like uh, trying to mess with that a little bit, so it was uh, it was cool working on it, and I like the the way that it turned out. It uh, it kind of pulled some of the yellow color out of it, which uh, is really just almost sometimes distracting, uh, and then that strips it down to the the kind of sharp angles that come in from the top of the 
uh, top of the frame to the bottom of the frame. Uh, these uh, these other sharp diagonals that uh, that are kind of matched up in parallel with it too. So I kind of like that part of the composition elements that come about with when you you start working on stuff when you when you kind of work uh, or just when you kind of start getting a little bit more trained and stuff and when you're able to sort of make things a little bit more easily that, that starts to come around a bit better. But uh, but yeah, it was cool working tonight on a handful of photographs from uh, from the Imnaha River Canyon and trying to make some black and white conversions of them. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there. Some stuff on the homepage. Some good links to other other outbound sources. Some, some links to books. Some links to some podcasts. Links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.